Welcome to Episode 9 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hey everybody, Todd Houston here. Just wanted to say go over to the 3CDigitalMediaNetwork.com website and check out some of the new content that we have to offer. We have webinars and courses, and we have two outstanding other podcasts that we are now producing. One is Telepractice Today and Act to Live. So go check out all that stuff. I think you'll really enjoy it. Now, back to the Listening Brain Podcast. In today's interview, I have a really wonderful parent. Her name is Brandy Ash. She and her husband, Sean, have four children. Their youngest child is Cooper, and Cooper is now uh, in kindergarten, uh, has bilateral cochlear implants, and really doing well. This interview is really about that journey that parents go through and deciding how to intervene with their own child and what choices they need to make to make sure that their child is going to be successful. And Brandy tells her story and tells Cooper's story. So I really hope you enjoy the interview. So I'm very happy to have Brandy Ash, a great mom that I've been working with for quite a while. Um, here in Ohio at Akron Children's and also at the University of Akron. And Brandy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Todd. It's good to see you. <laughs> so it is good to see each other. We haven't seen each other in a little while, uh, mainly because your son, Cooper, has, uh, who we'll get into even more, but uh, he's in public school now and, yes. and soaring right along. Yes, yes, he is. Cooper started kindergarten this year, um, and he is mainstreamed into our local school district, which was something we insisted upon from the very beginning. So he's cruising around, cruising right along through kindergarten, and you know we're in some kind of difficult times right now, so we're homeschooling, but he's still doing well and uh, progressing, so he'll get to go into first grade in the fall. That's great. That's what we always want, right? Yes. Be in the mainstream doing what he needs to do, just like any other child. Uh-huh. So let's let's go back to the beginning. We first met each other through telepractice, actually. Yes. Um, and how old was Cooper when we started? Uh, Cooper was about two and a half months old when we started mm-hmm. working with you through telepractice. He was, at the time, I think the youngest child you had started working with. That's right. Um, in the telepractice program, and... We really wanted to start with some early intervention as quickly as we possibly could. So we actually had our first therapy session about a week after he got his first set of hearing aids. That's right. That's right. It, it, I hate to say this, but it kind of, I, I remember those first few sessions. <laughs> um, it kind of feels like yesterday in, in some respects, how yeah. time has gone so quickly. Um, but I, I do remember those first few sessions, and mm-hmm. uh, and even the students that were involved, Andy Bell and some oh, of yes. the others. Yes, I love Andrea. I miss her so much. <laughs> and and she's doing quite well now in Texas and Fort Worth at Cook Children's Hospital. But she's on Facebook now. If you okay. are on Facebook, but she has what's called the Listening Bell. Oh, okay. She does these little uh, videos, and they're really. Uh, um, short videos as suggestions for parents about reading and and language development and things like that. And so she's uh, sort of using social media to try to help families. So that's wonderful. Very very proud of her. You know, some of these uh, 
students along the way, you get very attached to them and she's gone on to do some really great things. So that's wonderful. I'm glad that she's having such wonderful success. Mm-hmm. So we, he was two and a half months old. We started <laughs> and you guys had decided early on that you wanted him to use listening and spoken language as his way of communicating. Yes. Was there any, was there ever any doubt about making that choice early on? No, none whatsoever. You know, um, I grew up with a cousin who was deaf and she was about four years old before her parents realized that she couldn't hear. And it's kind of sad because she has quite honestly missed out on so much. And I knew from the experiences with her that that wasn't, we wanted to give him every opportunity that we would give any of our children. And so when we found out that um, Cooper had severe to profound sensory neural hearing loss, um, there was no doubt. It was, what's the next step? What can we do to get him where he needs to be? And, you know, thankfully, uh, cochlear implants have given us that opportunity to help him and give him spoken language and the ability to hear the birds sing and mom and dad argue. (laughs) (laughs) All the things of life, right? Yes. Yes. Um, So his diagnosis came early and, and you have to forgive me. This was it connects in 26 or was that ever identified any? Um, No, we didn't. We didn't have it identified at the time. We chose not to go ahead with the genetic testing because the fact that Cooper had already been through so much. Um, And we figured at that point, we knew that it was potentially or more than likely because Sean and I carried recessive traits um, for hearing loss. It's very rare, I guess, for a man and woman to actually get married and both carry that recessive trait. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just chose, you know, we weren't having any more kids. So we decided that um, we weren't going to put Cooper through any more than what he had already been through at this point. You know, when Cooper's turn to have kids comes around, he's going to know that they have a 50% chance um, of having hearing loss when they're born. So, you know, hopefully by the time that comes around, maybe we'll be more into that messing with genetics a little bit. But um, we didn't want to put him through anymore. We just, um, from talking to other parents, from all the research and reading and studying I did, kind of came to the conclusion, and, and speaking to you, came to the conclusion that more than likely Sean and I both carry that recessive trait for hearing loss. And uh, every child we had had that chance that one of them was going to be born with hearing loss. And, um, you know, Cooper got dealt that hand, but we'll take it because there's so many more things out there that could be a million times worse. Sure, sure. And you mentioned other children. So tell us a little more about your family and and Sean. All right. Well, Sean is my husband. We've been married for 14 years, the end of this month. And uh, we have a 19-year-old together. Well, he's actually a stepdad, but um, he is more of a dad to him than I could ever hope for. He is, uh, Brian is a freshman at Cleveland State. He is exceptionally bright. He has no health problems, no medical issues. And he was actually born seven and a half weeks prematurely. So he was perfect. He came home after 48 hours, no issues. Um, And then Sean and I's first child together is Isabella. She's 12 years old. She's in sixth grade. Um, She's beyond an overachiever. Um, Again, no hearing issues, no health problems, nothing whatsoever. Um, Then we had Taylor. Taylor is our 10-year-old daughter who's in fifth grade. Um, Born full term, just like her sister, no health problems, no issues. Um, we did find out as time went on and we did some testing with Dr. Houston over at Akron University that, uh, Taylor has an auditory processing disorder. So, um, while her hearing is perfect, it kind of gets lost in translation by the time it gets to the auditory nerve in her brain. Um, so we're giving her the tools that she needs to succeed by helping her with, um, you know, early intervention. She gets a little extra time to do things. You know, she is on an IEP at school, but, um, she's doing well. Homeschooling is actually benefiting her because she's got mom kind of sitting there with her hand on her shoulder saying, sit still, we're going to do this and we're going to do it together. Um, but 
other than that, healthy, happy child. And um, then we had Cooper. Cooper was a bit of a surprise. Um, Taylor was going into preschool. And Cooper was a, hey, you're not done yet, baby. And normal pregnancy, full term. Uh, you know, he actually was only about six days early. And uh, we had Cooper. He was happy, healthy, biggest child at seven and a half pounds, 21 and a half inches. Um, and when they were in the hospital, they did, they did that 24-hour uh, hearing screening for newborns. And he came back as a referral. So they said, well, we'll wait and we'll run the test again. So they waited a few hours and they ran the test again. And again, he came back referral. So they ran it a third time. And a third time he came back referral on both sides. So when they told us that, they said that we would need to call and schedule an appointment for an ABR. And for those people who don't know what an ABR is, it's a specialized hearing screening for newborns. They do it when they're asleep. It takes about an hour. Um, they run a series of sounds and tests and frequencies. It's done through electrodes that are attached to the head. Does not hurt them at all. They're sound asleep. Um, they told us we were going to have to wait a month to have this test done. And um, so I called to schedule it and actually ended up knowing the lady that was going to be doing the test. And she offered to do it just before a month. It was a little bit before. We were going to do it on Christmas Eve of 2013. And she said, you know, I think it's probably not the best idea to do that because, you know, God forbid you do get some, some bad news, you know. So we ended up doing it the day after Christmas. And uh, we went in bright and early. Cooper slept through the whole thing. It was just an angel. Had a few technical difficulties with the test. But um, when it was all said and done, the audiologist turned to Sean and I and said that Cooper had severe to profound sensory neural hearing loss in both sides in both years. Um, so, you know, after some, some crying, some tears, I looked at her and said, I want a second opinion. In fact, I want a third opinion. <laughs> and um, she said, that's understandable. I would do the same thing. So uh, we were at Akron Children's in less than a month. And we were so happy with the staff at Akron Children's and the way we were treated and how efficient they were, the you know, modernized equipment that we chose, you know, they gave us the same results and uh, we mm -hmm. chose to stick with Akron Children's. We wanted somebody that specialized in, in pediatrics. And so that's where we stayed. I said, okay, what's next? I said, let's get them in some hearing aids. The sooner the better. And a lot of people questioned us on why we wanted to put hearing aids on him. If he couldn't hear anything, what, what good was it going to do? And you know me, we've known each other a long time. I'm kind of a stickler. And I said, well, because it's like any other muscle in your body. If you don't use it, you lose it. So even if he wasn't getting as much as we'd want him to, even if it was just the slightest little peep here or there, it was going to keep that auditory nerve stimulated so that when we were able to go through with the cochlear implant process, um, his adaptation to the cochlear implants and how quickly he reacted to them and responded and how well he did with therapy was going to be so much more beneficial. I think I gave you a Very true. Very true. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. So, and, and we still get, you know, I get questions now, you know, sometimes with parents um, asking why should we put hearing aids on? We've just been told he's deaf. How, you know, what, what use are we to, you know, why do we have to go through this process? Mm -hmm. If, if we know in a few months we're going to get, a, you know, cochlear implants, why are we going to put hearing aids on? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's sometimes hard to discuss that and just sort of make the case because you're trying to say we want to stimulate that ear and that nerve. Mm -hmm. but they're just saying, well, I've, you, you know, the audiologist has told me he's deaf. He can't hear a thing. And it's, it's, we got to find a different way of explaining that. Yeah. I think there's like a, a big misconception. You know, I, like I said, I had a cousin who's deaf and, um, you know, I have all the respect for anybody in the deaf community. Um, but I think a lot of times, um, 
there's a lot of misconception about what a cochlear implant is. It's come a long way in mm-hmm. 40 years and it's not, you know, they, a lot of, I read a lot of articles because I wanted to see both sides of the story. I wanted to see how the deaf community felt about cochlear implants. And I was shocked and saddened by the miscommunication and the lack of knowledge that there is, you know, they think that there's wires coming out of your head and that you look like aliens and why would you cut your kid's head open? And, you know, it's not like they're having major brain surgery, you know, it is, you know, it's, yes, it is still surgery. Don't ever watch the video, by the way, that's, (laughs) that's kind of disturbing on some level, but you know, it can't, you can't hurt to educate yourself. And I think it's important to have other parents to be able to talk to, um, so that if you have questions or you have concerns or you're even uh, remotely um, discouraged about it or you think, you know, why bother? Why should I do this? I can give you one reason why and I'll call him over and he can say hi to you because the earlier you start working with him, the more early intervention you do, the better success they're going to have. And a lot of parents you know, they don't understand that. So they just kind of sometimes need to be put in a position with somebody who's been through it. They can say, it's not easy. It's not a short road. It's a long, bumpy road. It is a very steep staircase going up a very steep mountain. And some days you're climbing all uphill and some days you level off. But don't worry because you'll keep going uphill if you keep working at it. Right, right. Very good point. And I totally agree The sort of the family to family connections are, are just critical because often like you, you know, you, you did, there's not a lot of other families right there in your neighborhood that would have going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and most families, you know, the both parents are hearing and then suddenly they have this child mm-hmm. and it's the first time they've ever dealt with hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they're often wanting to talk to other parents. And, and helping them have that connection is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I volunteered to be a cochlear advocacy volunteer is because, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be able to reach out to people. It's I, whenever somebody at the ENT center or even you asks me, would you mind reaching out to this parent? I never have a problem doing it. You know, I, and you can only reach out though, as far as they're willing to, to listen. You know, some parents just reach a state of denial and depression over it. I mean, quite honestly, when you find out that you have a child that's born with hearing loss, you kind of go through the stages of grieving as if it was a death. But what you really need to do as a parent is turn around and look at that smiling face and those 10 fingers and 10 toes and know this child is alive and well, and they can strive. This is just a slight obstacle that they have to overcome and you can help them do that. You're giving them that that opportunity to see and hear the world like we do. And, you know, having been born hearing, sometimes we think, oh, I just wish I could shut it off. And I can understand that, but that doesn't mean that we can't give them the best that we can. You know, if you have a child that's born missing part of a limb, are you going to not give them every opportunity? Are you going to tell them, no, you can never play sports because you're missing your leg from your knee down? No, you're going to get them a prosthetic and you're going to teach them how to use it and you're going to take them to therapy and you're going to start as early as you can so that child can walk and run and jump and skip and play sports like everybody else. Why wouldn't you want to do that with a child just because they were born with hearing loss? Excellent points. I can't Agree with you more. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more about Cooper himself, uh, the the man of the hour, so yeah. to speak. Um, he's in kindergarten now, and let's kind of back up to getting cochlear implants, going from the hearing aids to the implants. How you know, knowing that spoken language is where you wanted to go, and his hearing aids were providing help for him, but not enough. And then this, the decision to get cochlear implants. Well, How did that go? when 
we got Cooper's hearing aids. I mean, we knew prior to getting them that, that he probably wouldn't get any sound from them. But again, it goes back to that keeping the auditory nerve stimulated mm-hmm. so that even if he's getting the smallest bit of sound, it's just kind of keeping that nerve from getting lazy and, and being stagnant, so to speak. So we started doing um, therapy through telepractice with his hearing aids mm-hmm. uh, on a weekly basis. Um, we, you know, people go, how did you do that? He was, he was two and a half months old. Like I propped him up in a high chair, mm-hmm. strapped him in, propped him up and sat him in front of the computer screen. And I turned that volume up on the computer and, you know, I made sure that I pointed things out and I told him to listen and mm-hmm. we worked really, really hard. And therapy ends up becoming just part of your daily life. It's 24 seven. You know, I will say one difference with a hearing child versus a child without hearing. Um, you know, it's not like when your child wakes up in the middle of the night, you can yell, Hey, go back to sleep. You're fine from the next room. You do have to get up right. and when, you know, there are some more sacrifices, so to speak, you might lose mm-hmm. a little bit more sleep, but it's well worth it. Um, because they have to see you right. and we never signed with Cooper. That's another thing people always asked us. Well, when he's, you know, when you found out, did you start learning sign language and baby sign language? And the answer to that was no, because we wanted him to use um, spoken language. We wanted him to hear. We wanted him to know that he had to use his ears. He was going to have to work for it. And so therapy was a, was a weekly thing. One thing that we noticed after a few months of wearing hearing aids was he could kind of react to a basketball bouncing, which was odd to us because we're like, we thought he couldn't hear anything, but even it might've been like a little thing, like he might not have known what it was, but for whatever reason, if he heard a basketball bouncing on concrete, he would turn around and look, he didn't know where it was coming from. You'd see him kind of going like this, but that was really it. That was Never, you know, the dog barking never affected him. You know, even a child, children can be born immune to noise. If they're used to a loud environment in utero, they can come out and be like, eh, I'm used to it. It's no big deal. But even a child that's born immune to, so to speak, to that noise will respond to like a loud sneeze or a sudden noise. And he never responded to any of that. So we wanted more for Cooper. We're like, I'm, you know, we're working so hard for him. This is part of our daily life. You become a speech therapist 24 Mm seven. And it was so important to add that into your life. You announced things a little bit more clearly. You articulated your words differently. You made sure that you spoke to them so they could see you because they also learned to read lips So that kind of helps in therapy too, so that when they do get their cochlear implants, they're like, oh, hey, I know the way her mouth is moving. This sounds like this. And they learn, you know, when your child is born hearing, you show them a duck and you're like, oh, look at the duck, quack, quack, quack. Mm -hmm. The opposite with a child who is born without hearing. So those several early months was a lot of, I hear a sound, I hear something going quack, quack, quack. Do you hear the quack, quack, quack? And then introducing what the item was. So it's a lot of sound before item. Um, But it was, it just was without a doubt. We knew that the hearing aids weren't working. We had to do um, what we felt was best for Cooper. It was only going to benefit him. And so we had made the decision well before really, I think they were going to say, okay, yeah, it's a good idea. And, you know, meeting with the audiologist and the ENT and saying, you know, this isn't working. We want him to hear. We want the cochlear implants. Let's follow through. The process ended up being very quick. You know, it's not like some things where you have to wait for an approval and do this. It was actually a very quick Mm -hmm. process. Um, At the time, uh, they did a lot of implants unilaterally. They would do one and maybe wait six months and do the other. But we decided early on that we didn't want that to happen. We wanted Cooper to be implanted bilaterally because when we got his hearing aids, he got them both at the same time. So he learned how to utilize both hearing aids at the same time. And he was used to wearing them on the same year, you know, at the same time. So why wouldn't you implant them 
bilaterally so that they learn how to use them at the same time. It's more beneficial to them. It's not setting them back any further. So we kind of press that argument to our ENT um, prior to his surgery being scheduled. And he said, you know, I am actually getting ready to do the first bilateral one here. Let me see how that goes and I'll get back to you. And he called us three days later and said, be prepared to stay overnight. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and bilaterally implant. We were so excited. And, you know, it, rule of thumb is they wait till they're a year old. So, you know, some physicians will go what they call off record or off label and implant them sooner. Um, but we did wait till Cooper was a year old. And um, he was in the hospital surgery was, I don't know, maybe six to eight hours, if that. It went very, very smoothly. It went very quickly. Um, We kept him overnight. He healed very fast. He had no problems. And, uh, you know, they said usually around four weeks is when they would do activation. Uh, We actually were able to do it at three because Cooper was completely healed. So it was his big brother's 14th birthday. We came into the ENT center and you were there and uh, Shelly was there and his sisters and his brother and his dad, we were all there and uh, they activated his cochlears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a big moment. It is a very big moment. It's not necessarily what everybody sees on YouTube. Right. Or on commercials, you know, when they first turned him on, Cooper didn't really react too much. I think it was when you threw a ball to him from across the room and he caught it or vice versa. Uh, And we all started clapping and saying, yay, Cooper was when he started crying because he was like, oh, holy crap, this is loud. (laughs) Um, And he kind of cried and we were like, it's okay, big guy. It's okay. This, you know, it's mommy. And, uh, you know, it just was a bittersweet moment and probably one of the best decisions I ever made. You have to advocate for your child. And this was just the beginning. So um, I think I did what any other parent would do in order to give their kid the, the best success. Right. And so the process after the implants... In one sense, even though we, you know, you guys stimulated the auditory nerve, mm-hmm. now he's listening with new devices, and so it's a little bit of a starting over with these new devices to some degree, but building on those those basic auditory skills, I guess, or beginning auditory skills that he did, he was able to to learn with hearing aids. No. But then now he's hearing with these implants. How was that? A, do you remember those initial couple of months there? Oh, my. Those first few months were rough. I'm not going to lie. Because um, it was a new device, you know, with his hearing mm-hmm. aids. He had just, he gotten used to them. He had them for so long that it was nothing new to him. Well, now sound is introduced. So it's, you know... I guess if I was to step back, I would say when it comes to the hearing aids and it comes to the processors, you're the boss. They are not. You have to make sure that those are on them all waking hours. And, you know, I've spoken to so many wonderful parents that have had struggles with their kids keeping them on. I'm like, I understand. I really do. You know, those first few months after Cooper got his processors, I think I spent more time some days looking for them or picking them back up and putting them back on his head than I did not. Um, you know, it is work. It is a struggle. It is beneficial, though, because it's new to them in the sense that now they have all this sound that they're not used to. And I think that's a lot of why, you know, here he is a year old and he's pulling processors off and throwing them on the ground or hiding them in the couch. And you spend six <laughs> hours looking for them. You know, thank God the, the N7 now has that app and you can track them because the N6s didn't have that. Right. And, um, you know, I did spend six hours one day looking for them uh, just to find them stuffed between two cushions in the couch. Um, 
but you know, I, one of my favorite videos of Cooper is he's maybe 12 or 13 months old. It's like a month or two after, after he was activated and he loves music. He has loved music from the very beginning. And there's, I have this video of him and there's a song playing on the radio and he's just kind of swaying and dancing to the music and his sister turned the radio off and you see him kind of put his hands up and look around. He goes, ah! and I said, where did it go, Cooper? And he's got his hands up in the air and he's going, ah, and he walked over to the radio because he knew that that's where the sound was coming from, but it wasn't there anymore. And he actually turned the radio back on and he's standing in front of the radio. The song came back on. He started dancing again and his sister reached over and turned it off again. And he looks at her, he puts his hands up. He's like, ah, and he's looking at the radio. Like, where did it go? And, you know, we turn it back on and he started dancing again. So those are the types of moments that make me smile. Sure. Because all that hard work so that two months after activation, he's dancing mm-hmm. and he knows that that's a good sound and he enjoys it. You know, wow. hearing me call his name and having him turn and look because he recognizes, he's starting to recognize those sounds. He's recognizing that when I say Cooper, I'm calling his name. Uh, you know, now I don't have to say it like that. Now it's no longer the sing songy. It's, it's just you and me talking. And I can hold a conversation with him. But the first several months, the first several months were, were a little rough, but well worth it because those hearing aids and making sure that he wore those from the time he woke up to the time he went to bed, keeping that nerve stimulated just benefited him more when he got the implants so that mm-hmm. sound wasn't unfamiliar to him. He wasn't scared by it. He would still get scared, you know, if it was a noise he wasn't familiar with. All of a sudden, the dog started barking, and he was like, you know, it might shock him at first, but he wouldn't cry over it. He he knew that the sound was okay, and he could hear me, I think, as a mom, and all moms can relate to this. And I I guess I reach out to any mom that's, that's leery about whether or not cochlear implants are the right choice for their child. There is nothing, nothing like saying... I love you to your child and having them hear you and turn around and say, I love you too. It's the best feeling in the world. And, uh, you know, in the beginning I thought I'd never hear that, but thanks to cochlear implants and hearing aids and all the hard work that we put in, I get to hear that and so much more. Sometimes things I don't, (laughs) You don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's he really has come a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there's, I think every community or every area has that one school district that kind of has a specialized unit for children that have hearing loss or that are deaf. And mm-hmm. uh, we do have one around where we live. But it was very important to us that all that hard work we put in, Cooper was going to be mainstreamed into his local school district. That was very important to us. Um, so even though those first few months after he was activated were rough, we just kept plugging away. I'm not going to say I didn't have days where I wanted to go hide in a corner and cry. Um, no, no, it is no, hard work. No, but no, <laughs> you can hear Cooper. No. <laughs> Speak, speaking of hearing things sometimes. Now, speaking speaking of hearing, Cooper, he's in the background. He's playing Fortnite. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so he, uh, you know, all that hard work was beneficial to Cooper is what it comes down to. It's beneficial to them. But it also benefits parents as well. It gives them a sense of pride. You know, it gives them a sense of... I did something good child, you know, um, looking back, my, my grandmother passed away a few years ago. And when I went to the funeral, my cousin who's deaf was there and she hoped that I would have had Cooper with me because she really wanted to meet Cooper. She knew that I had a son that was born deaf Mm -hmm. and that he had cochlear implants and she really wanted to meet him. Unfortunately, I did not have him with me. Um, but, 
we keep in touch and I send her videos of him that her son will translate to her. He'll sign to her what's being said and what's going on in the videos. And she's coming up hopefully in the fall for a wedding close by. And I told her, please let me know, you know, I would love for you to meet Cooper. And she said, I would love to meet Cooper. Um, And she asked me, is it too late? And I said, no, it's not too late. You can do it. You know, she, it would be a struggle for her because she's, you know, 50 years old and, you know, but she can do it. I said, I've seen adults. I've had people approach us in restaurants and talk to us about Cooper. Um, probably, hey, sorry. <laughs> uh, probably a month and a half ago, I had a gentleman come up to us at a restaurant and ask us what series processor Cooper had. And I looked at him and he wasn't wearing processors. And I said, um, well, he has a Nucleus 6. And he said, well, that's what my wife has. And his wife was sitting at the table next to us. Mm. And she had only been implanted, um, I think it was six years ago, five or six years ago. Her speech was pretty good, but she had spent her entire life being hearing impaired. And um, so she did have that, you know, garble to her voice and stuff. And she looked at me and she said, I wish I would have known sooner. I wish it would have been around when I was born. So, you know, as much as I, with my other kids, I might complain about technology and how much they're on them and you know, get off your devices, turn that radio down, you know, shut off the phone. Technology is a wonderful thing. It really is a wonderful thing. And I would tell any and every parent out there that, You know, yes, it's sad when you find out that your child is born with hearing loss, but you can do something about it. And the sooner you do it, the earlier you do it, the harder you work at it, the more you're going to benefit them. And, um, you know, all I can hope is that they listen to parents like me and the other parents that, you know, you interview on the podcast or maybe parents that they get put in contact with through their Mm -hmm. speech therapist or audiologist. And maybe heed their advice or, you know, even if they take it with a grain of salt, think back and, and say, you know what, maybe this is, maybe this would be better, you know, oh wait, you don't have your hearing aids on yet. Let's put your hearing aids on, you know, nope, got to put them back in. Don't show on your hearing aids Mm -hmm. and, you know, don't put your processors back on. You got to wear your processors. Um, we really have to be the boss when it comes to it. That's, that was the hard part was being the boss. It's, it's setting that expectation and yeah. then following through. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you. I, you know, sometimes, you know, I understand that it takes a, a lot of work to keep them on sometimes because mm-hmm. we just want to grab them and, and pull them off. But, uh, we, we teach our children not to touch the stove when it's hot. <laughs> we teach them certain rules, yeah. you know, and then eventually they start to, you know, not do those things, <laughs> you know. And so trying to continue to reinforce, okay, they, they stay on your head. You don't pull them off, you know, and, and really reinforcing that. Um, I appreciate everything that you're you're. Uh, telling me because I think it's you know your message and your story will I think help a lot of families out there hopefully that do listen to the podcast and even the professionals that are out there too so with with Cooper he you guys like you described adopted this listening spoken language auditory verbal lifestyle uh, after you know the uh, one well really from day one but especially after he's uh, hearing with his implants and all the way up to now, he's, he's been in kindergarten this year. So how has that transition gone being in kindergarten? Well, you know, he did, he started going to preschool when he was three and a half years old. And like I said, he was mainstreamed in our local school district. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other kids with some hearing loss that had, you know, hearing aids or whatever, but Cooper is the only child in the district that has cochlear implants. There was a young lady that um, graduated several years ago, apparently, that had them. Um, But it's, you know, not the norm. Unfortunately, a lot of places kind of push these children off to these specialized districts. Um, And our school district has been phenomenal and very supportive. 
and they're excited to have Cooper in the district. You know, he went through preschool with flying colors. Um, you know, I was a little leery about the transition to kindergarten, but he has, you know, aced that transition to kindergarten. Um, you know, obviously he's a little bit behind um, in his speech. So he is getting speech therapy at school. It's provided through the district. He gets, um, he's on an IEP because of his speech. And what a lot of people need to understand is, is when a child's born with hearing loss and you make that choice to get them implanted with cochlear implants, if it's, if they don't get implanted till they're a year old, they're technically a year behind in their speech. So even though they're, you know, five years old, their hearing age is four. So their speech is going to be more of like a four-year-old speech. And um, so we've been very lucky. He's got by far the best kindergarten teacher we could hope for. No disrespect to any of the other ones, but we really hoped that he would get the woman that he has and she's wonderful. Um, he's got a young speech therapist that works for the school district mm -hmm. and she's fantastic with them. She's so excited to be able to work with Cooper. This is the first opportunity she's had, um, to work with a child with cochlears on a, on a regular basis. Um, you know, we do find that Cooper is a little bit behind in reading. Um, but that also comes with the fact that even though I've read to all of my kids from the time they were born and I did the same thing with Cooper, even though I knew he couldn't hear me, I still read him books every night. Um, and then I would not take like his hearing aids off or his processors off until after we had read. It's just not something he's not really connecting with, mm -hmm. but he doesn't mean he can't read because I mean, he reads all of his sight words. He, you know, is working on his sounds and he does very, very well. Um, but that's really, he is a little bit behind in the speech, but again, because technically his hearing age is a little bit, is a year younger than, than what he is. Um, but these kids don't know any differently, you know, um, his last year of preschool, one of the kids finally asked Cooper after going to school with him for two years, what are those things on your head? <laughs> right. And uh, it was during circle time and he was, he was the helper and the preschool teacher says, I wish I would have videotaped it for you. Because Cooper, she goes, I thought he was going to shut down and back away. Like, I don't want to talk about it. She goes, he owned it. He flat out stepped up and said, oh, these are my cochlears. And, and I take them off. I can't hear. I put them on. I can hear. And she goes, he just told those kids all about it. And she goes, by the time he was done, I had kids going, well, I want cochlears. I want cochlears. <laughs> right. Um, and it's the, he doesn't get treated any differently at school. You know, he... He plays baseball. Unfortunately, right now his baseball season's on delay because of right. this crazy world we're currently in. Right. Um, you know, he plays baseball. He plays, you know, coach pitch baseball right now. He's playing little league and he, you know, he wears a baseball helmet and he gets out there and, you know, hits the ball and runs the bases and plays catch and does everything any hearing kid would do. You know, somebody asked me one day, well, your son's deaf. I'm like, my son's not deaf. My son is, my son can hear perfectly fine. Heck, he can hear better than you and I. <laughs> um, you know, he is doing very well with the homeschooling. A lot of his stuff is a lot of um, listening activities and um, he has no problems. He loves doing the listening activities. He loves um, using, they use a program called Lexia Core 5 and he's using that to work on his reading skills and his sounds. So, uh, for instance, today he was listening to vowel sounds and he, they did not show him a word. You heard the computer say a word and he had to pick which letter was the vowel sound that he was hearing in the middle of the word. Um, so he, he's doing really well. He's doing really, really well. We're uh, excited to see what kind of a future you know, he's going to have, it's just right. um, one day at a time, but watching him grow and, and just succeed and do the best he can do. Well, I like how you said that in terms of seeing what kind of future he's going to have and the choices you guys have made for him as a child mm -hmm. as a, will allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to be limited. He yeah. can do, he can go and do anything he wants to do really. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, so that's, that's a wonderful thing to think about. 
Well, my dad, um, you know, my dad, God love him, he's 75 years old, and uh, he loves all of his grandkids. He's got a special place in his heart for all of them. And when it comes to Cooper, he said it best one day when he told me, he goes, you know, you said that the state said that he is disabled. And unfortunately, these children, when they're diagnosed with this hearing loss, are considered disabled. And I said, yes. I said, but I don't think he's disabled. And he says, well, no. I thought about that. He's not disabled. He has a limitation. But he's not going to let that stop him. And he has proven from the very beginning that he won't let that stop him. I mean, I've got one day I'm standing in the kitchen and I hear, hey, mom, hey, mom. It's probably about a year ago. And I said, what, Cooper? And I turned around and he has himself stretched out. His feet are on the wall. And he's stretched across this span of floor and his hands are on the back of the couch. He's stretched out as far as he can be. And he's about four or four feet up, four, four and a half feet up off the ground. And I thought, oh my goodness, kid, I'm like, please don't fall. Please. You know, I think the biggest worry as a parent with a child with cochlears is please don't hit your head. You know, the processors themselves can be replaced. You know, they can be repaired. Please don't hit your head. Because if, you know, it takes a lot. I will say it would take a lot mm-hmm. to dislodge an implant. But... That's, I think, your biggest worry is I'm getting hit in the head. They always told me from the beginning, he has no limitations. I just wouldn't recommend mm-hmm. he plays football. Right. <laughs> I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Sure. You know, we, we kind of all have our things. I say he's going to be the first first cochlear implant-wearing professional basketball player, NBA player, <laughs> or a major mm-hmm. league baseball player. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean wants him to be a professional golfer because he can tune out the crowd. If he needs to, he can just take them off and it goes silent and he can concentrate on his game. And it's kind of fun to dream about mm-hmm. what he's going to be when he grows up. But really I don't, he has no limitations. He can be anything he sets his mind to. Right. And, um, you know, I think that other parents would have fears too. And I can relate. There's fears when you think about their future, there's, you know, you fears about when they, if they go away to college, who's going to be there to take care of them? What if there's, you know, what if there's a fire? What if there's this? What if there's that? Again, there's a lot of technology out there to aid in that. We actually mm-hmm. have a, a special alarm clock for Cooper that has a disc that goes under his bed. And it's sensitive to hearing our smoke detectors. If our smoke detectors go off. Mm-hmm. it goes off and it shakes his bed and it'll wake him up and, and get him out of bed and help get him out of the house. All I can say about when you have all those fears, don't think about it. As hard as it is, don't think about it. It's one day at a time. Enjoy them while they're little. Concentrate on getting them where they need to be. Concentrate on raising them to be the best human being they can possibly be and they'll be able to handle anything that comes their way and you as a parent we always worry we will always worry about our children i i have three children that are hearing and i one's at college out granted he's home but you know he's usually away at college and even though he's only an hour away it doesn't mean i don't worry to death about him every night is he is he eating three meals a day is he getting enough sleep is he Getting his homework done. Is he getting his laundry done? You know, my girls, are they doing okay? Is, you know, are they having problems at school? Do they have good friends? There's a million and one worries as a parent. Don't think about those. Your worry, your, your number one concern right now is introducing them to spoken language and the auditory verbal world. It is, it is a long journey. It's a hard journey, but it's... You know, think about the old saying, life is not easy, but it's worth it. And I know I have that saying wrong, so you feel free to correct me. (laughs) But this whole journey isn't easy, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. Right. Well, you have been a wonderful source of inspiration and information (laughs) uh, that 
we all can learn from. And I, I just really appreciate you giving us some time today and uh, helping us with the podcast. I think uh, you will inspire lots of people um, with your words and hopefully, uh, especially the parents that are out there, you know, maybe just getting that diagnosis and just trying to make some of these decisions. Yeah, I mean, don't put it off. I, I don't put it off because there are a lot of people out there that unfortunately they listen to maybe their pediatrician says, oh, it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Or the pediatrician goes, yeah, you should probably have that testing done, but they don't know what the next step is. Don't be afraid to ask. You have to speak up for your child. If you're told in the hospital that your child's a referral, make sure you stay on that. I mean, there's a lot going on when you bring home that baby, whether it's your first baby or your 10th baby. There's a lot going on, and I understand that. But if somebody tells you that they're referral, please make sure you follow through with it. You know, don't let somebody sidetrack you and say, oh, they're going to go out, grow out of it. Or, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, I met a wonderful woman who was told repeatedly that her son it was just viral that it would go away. It was viral. It would go away. And at two and a half years of age, their son was completely deaf. And, you know, had they known earlier that maybe it was, yes, he was going to lose his hearing completely. They could have gotten hearing aids on him at a young age and kept introducing those sounds to him so that as he gradually lost his hearing, it would have been easier to pick it up once they got the cochlear implants on him. Um, so just, I think that's probably just do what you have to do for your child to succeed. And, um, you know, don't, don't get down. Don't get depressed. Don't be too hard on yourself. You're doing the best you can and just go out there and do what you can for your kid. Again, great words of wisdom. I appreciate your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate Brandy being with us today, sharing her insights, her experiences, being a parent of a child with hearing loss. And I appreciate her sharing Cooper's journey as well, her son. And I know with, with Brandy in his corner, Cooper will continue to do very well. And so if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, I want to encourage you to go over to patreon.com and become a patron of the Listening Brain Podcast. If you sign up to be a patron, then you can get some free stuff and some bonus material that we are producing for the podcast. So go over to patreon.com and sign up to be a patron. And thank you, as always, for listening. This podcast has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 